Hi, everyone. Following the initial release of this episode, our first-degree interviewee requested that her name be bleeped out of the episode due to some privacy concerns that came up. Of course, we always honor requests like this, but wanted to give new listeners to this episode a heads up to avoid any confusion. Thanks for listening, Firsties, and as always, thanks for your understanding. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. She's on the driver's side, and she just stops in the middle of the road, doesn't even pull into her driveway, and she just stops, and she's like, oh, my God. She's like, hi, how are you? I was like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? And she's like, your dog's so cute. And we just struck up a conversation, and he was just sitting in the passenger side the whole time just smiling really big at me. He didn't say much. I don't think he said anything. But he had a huge smile on his face, and she was super excited to, like, talk. And I walked away feeling like, what's their relationship? Not to be, like, disrespectful or anything, but I honestly was like, are they like hooking up or something? Because I just got like a vibe. So I heard she went missing. And then once they found her body, I just immediately knew in my gut that it was him. Who else would it be? The first thing that comes to my head, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I really hope she wasn't like buried alive in the septic tank. That would be the worst fucking way to go. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. And please excuse the raspiness in my voice because we just returned from my bachelorette party and uh, feeling a little rough. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little raspy myself. So we did some karaoke screaming. That's that's why. Uh, I don't think I've ever yelled and jumped around so much in my entire life. It was a blast. But our voices are paying for it uh, this week for sure. Yes, they sure are. My body, I was like, why am I so sore? Like, I didn't work out. From punch dancing during karaoke. It was from literally jumping around during karaoke. So, you know so what? So fun. It was great. We worked out the entire weekend. Yes. Being very healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's just jump right into this case. But before we do, of course, uh, do you want to know what day it is today? Yes. All right. Today, there's a lot of weird days going on. It's International Day of Yoga. Okay. I'm going to pass on yoga today. Same. Go skateboarding day. Going to pass. International surfing day. Passing on that too. Uh, also national peaches and cream day, which I'm into, and national seashell day. I love a seashell. And it is also the first day of summer and the longest day of the year, which I absolutely am here for. Oh, I'm excited by that. That's great. Yeah, it's like the best day of the year, and then it's just downhill after that. Mm, we're peaking, everyone, this moment. Uh, Well, that's enough of that, I think. So let's turn on the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Humans are creatures of habit. We thrive on routine. Wake up make coffee, walk the dog, start work, end work, eat dinner, watch some TV, take the kids to practice, scroll social media, go to bed, and repeat. 
It's how we feel grounded, prepared. We know exactly what's coming because we've done the same thing a million times before, and we like it that way. And even though these routines feel like our own, individual decisions, they're not. We expect the mail at 11 a.m. every day because the postal worker brings it at that time. And we know the bus will drop off the kids at four because the bus driver is never late. And your very favorite podcast comes out on Wednesday morning, rain or shine, because other people make that happen. These routines, these habits, these patterns, and they're all social contracts. I'll do this, you'll do that, and we'll do the same song and dance tomorrow, the next day, and the day after that. But what happens when someone's routine changes? When their life is so severely impacted that it affects your life? Do you think about what's happened to that person? What tragedy, loss, or earth-shattering event has altered their life so much that you, a complete stranger, are caught in the aftershocks? And when you see their picture on the evening news, their missing persons photo in the local paper, their grieving family at a nearby cemetery, do you think about them? Or do you adjust your routine and move on? Today's case begins on February 24th of 2022. And during this time, we don't talk about Bruno from Disney's Encanto as the number one song in America for the fourth week in a row. And the action film Uncharted, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, premieres with great box office success. Meanwhile, season two of Love is Blind is just beginning, which is mm, one of my favorites. And season two of Euphoria airs its final episode. Also, amazing show. Great show. Great show. And on this day exactly, Thursday, February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine. And although Russia and Ukraine haven't been on friendly terms since the beginning of the Russian and Ukrainian war in 2014, this Russian occupation rapidly escalated their conflict. And as a result, over 8 million Ukrainians fled their homes, causing Europe's largest refugee crisis ever. The setting for today's case is Jensen Sea Turtle Beach, Florida, but everyone just calls it Jensen Beach. Situated along Florida's east coast, just 10 miles away from Port St. Lucie, the small community was previously known as the pineapple capital of the world. And that's because in 1881, Captain Thomas Richards built a pineapple plantation in this area. And it did really well, like really well. Within about 15 years, dozens of other Jensen Beach residences hopped on the bandwagon and started their own thriving pineapple plantations as well. And for a while, the area surrounding Jensen Beach relied heavily on pineapple production for their economic industry. But in the early 1900s, this blissful pineapple bubble collapsed. According to Florida State Parks, nematodes, spider mites, and ongoing cold weather stopped most pineapple production. And today, Jensen Beach is not quite so pineapple-centric. Instead, this community of about 13,000 people has become well-known for its artsy beach scene. And Jensen Beach has a lot of unique shops and a wide range of seafood restaurants as well. Our first degree for today's case is named and has lived in and around Jensen Beach for a pretty long time. She knows the Jensen Beach area, culture, and people really well, and she's always felt safe. So when something horrifying happened in Jensen Beach, only a stone's throw away from her own home, was shocked. This happened two or three blocks away from us. My husband and I have been living in this specific house for four years now, and we're both from the area. I've lived here, like, in the area since I was 11. Both of us consider ourselves locals because we both spent the majority of our lives here. Jensen Beach is pretty much like a small little beach town. It's kind of, you know, it's in between Port St. Lucie and Stewart, which are a little bit larger, but Jensen Beach is pretty chill. It's mostly retired people, snowbirds. 
I'm 32. My husband's 31. So we're definitely like in the younger demographic for this particular neighborhood. So basically, it's very laid back. It sounds cliche, but like shit just like doesn't happen like this. So here's in Jensen Beach, living her best life. She's driving to and from places. She's walking her adorable dog. And each time leaves her house, she passes her neighbor's houses. And one of those neighbors happens to be 57-year-old Cynthia Cole. She goes by Cindy. And Cindy seemed like the kind of person could really get along with. Cindy was really laid back. She kept a gorgeous garden in front of her house and had a bunch of relatable bumper stickers on her gray Jeep. I was like, oh, I bet she's fun. Like, I could tell she was like a local. So the neighborhood we live in, there's a central street called Skyline Drive. It's basically like a three-mile strip where there's a bunch of like streets that come off of it. And it's just a nice little like community, like mostly nice houses. Everyone walks their dogs and like waves to each other. I drive by her house every day, like multiple times a day. Like I knew her car. I would always drive by and be like, oh, that house seems really cute. She's got like a nice little garden. Never formally introduced to Cindy, but she still had a sense of who she was and what her personality was like. After all, and Cindy would wave and chit chat, you know, like most neighbors do. And they weren't strangers. And really liked Cindy. She seemed very bubbly and exuberant, though. Like, she had a great energy. She seemed really, like, sweet and nice. Everyone in the neighborhood liked her. She was really pretty. Her kids loved her. Like, everyone that I've spoken to had nothing but, like, good things to say about her. Over time, noticed that Cindy would often have handymen over to help her out with her garden stuff, her home maintenance stuff, renovations around the house, and things like that. And keep in mind, Cindy was a single woman who was living alone, so she probably needed an extra set of hands every once in a while to maintain her home. So none of this really struck as being odd or anything. Well, except for just that one time. So sometime in the fall of 2021, ran into Cindy. was walking her dog, and Cindy was driving her Jeep. But Cindy wasn't alone in the car. In her passenger seat was a handyman. And the whole interaction felt a little off. So I walk by her house every day with my dog. We're on the way back towards our house. And I was right in front of her house when she was pulling up to her driveway. And it was a nice day, sunny day. So I'm just like walking right by. She stops in the middle of the road. And like the windows were already rolled down. She's on the driver's side. And she just stops in the middle of the road, doesn't even pull into her driveway. And she just stops and she's like, oh, my God. She's like, hi. How are you? I was like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? And she's like, your dog's so cute. And we just struck up a conversation. My dog is really cute. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm used to people stopping and being like, oh, your dog. She's like, where do you live? I told her, you know, my husband lives so-and-so down the street. She's like, oh, that's awesome. And then she's like, he's helping me do this in my backyard. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And she was like, yeah, I'm super excited about it. And he, you know, was just sitting in the passenger side the whole time, just smiling really big at me. Like, he didn't say much. I don't think he said anything. But he had a huge smile on his face. And she was super excited to, like, talk. Honestly, it seemed like two friends hanging out. There was music in the car. Like, they seemed like they're actually having, like, a good time. She seemed very, very, like, bubbly and excited. And the guy 
was just staring at me the whole time. It was very strange. He didn't say anything. He just stared at us the whole time with like a huge smile on his face. From this one conversation, could tell that Cindy and the handyman knew each other pretty well. There was this level of comfort between the two of them that was evident to her. And at the very least, they were friends. I'm a very like observant person and I overthink everything because I'm anxious. <laughs> I definitely was like, he's more than just like a handyman. Like I knew immediately they had a sense of closeness. I was like, my husband and I, we've had the same people that do stuff for us for years, but it's like, I don't drive them around in my car to like go pick up tools and, you know, I don't take them to Home Depot and like play music in my cars. She seemed happy. He was like grinning ear to ear. So I immediately sensed a sense of like closeness and she was really quick to be like, oh, he's helping me with like this project. So when I walked away, I just kind of felt like he's not just a handyman. And I walked away feeling like, what's their relationship? Not to be like disrespectful or anything, but I honestly was like, are they like hooking up or something? Because I just got like a vibe. I guess anyone would be just as curious as was following this interaction with Cindy and the handyman. Personally, I don't spend a ton of time jamming out to music in my car with people we've hired to do things around the house, like renovate our bathrooms. And, you know, that's just not the kind of relationship I've developed with those types of people in my life. And usually even these contractors, they like to keep those boundaries pretty clear as well. So either way, it was something Megan noted, but clearly Cindy and this guy were having a nice time together. So it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. And as a whole, as far as life, this interaction with Cindy was pretty innocuous. So she went on about her day and didn't think much of it beyond that. But then one day, heard from a different neighbor that Cindy was missing. I was just walking my dog and they're like, did you hear like the lady that lives over there is missing? I was like, no, I did not. And I was just like, oh, that's crazy. At first, wasn't sure what was going on. You know, after all, Jensen Beach was this close-knit community and people just didn't go missing there. So thought that maybe, hopefully this was all just a misunderstanding or a mistake. I was hoping it was just like a misunderstanding. You know, it was like, maybe she just went on a trip. Obviously you're assuming like the best, but then it was like less than a week later that they found her body. Right, so what was going on here? What had happened to Cindy Cole? Was this some sort of freak accident or something much worse? Something violent? Who could have hurt her and why? So to answer all these questions, you all know the drill. We got to go back. Cynthia Marie Cole was born on June 12th of 1964, and our research indicates that it's likely that Cindy spent many years in Arlington, Virginia, but we're not 100% certain. The information just really isn't available. But we do know for certain that on October 22nd of 1987, 23-year-old Cindy married 23-year-old Sean Bavensi in Arlington, Virginia. A year after their wedding in 1988, Cindy and Sean had a daughter, and a year after that, in 89, they had a son. But Eventually, this marriage fell apart and a divorce was finalized in 1996 after nine years of marriage. Obviously, we don't know the details of what was going on behind closed doors. But it is interesting to note that Sean was remarried by the end of August of the following year, which was just one month after this divorce from Cindy was finalized. But who knows, right? None of our business. Maybe they'd been separated for a while. So to the best of our knowledge and based on public records, Cindy never remarried, but she did ultimately have another son. 
And according to Cindy's friends and family, Cindy was always an incredibly likable and genuinely kind person. She was an earthly, nature-loving woman who traveled often and took these really stellar photos. And Cindy always made time in her day to appreciate the little things, especially flowers, butterflies, and sunrises. And Cindy was a very spiritual woman as well. On her Facebook profile, she posted frequently about spreading love. And she regularly attended multiple weekly church services and Bible studies. Between Sydney's friends, her family, and churches, she just really had this strong community. And one of Cindy's pastors told the TC Palm, which is a news outlet, I was impacted by Cindy's kindness and her gentleness. She was such a good, sweet, kind person. Cindy's Facebook profile revealed that for her 56th birthday in 2021, she asked her friends to donate to an organization called Samaritan's Purse. It's a non-denominational Christian organization that supports disaster victims around the world. And frankly, this sounds pretty spot on for who Cindy seemed to be, just generous, kind, and beloved. And when you look at her social media, that really shows. In 2022, Cindy had been sober for 12 years. And even though this is a massive feat all by itself, she wanted to do more. And this is why she became a sponsor for local Alcoholics Anonymous groups in the Jensen Beach area. And one of the AA members that Cynthia sponsored said, she's always there for me 110%. Another friend of Cindy's, Victoria Boyd, told WPTV that Cindy was so much fun. She was the girl with love in her eyes and flowers in her hair. So when we say all these cliches about Cindy, that she was widely beloved, that her smile lit up a room, well, they really appear to be true. Cindy was obviously special to many, many people, and the world was definitely a better place with her in it. On the morning of Thursday, February 24th, 2022, Cindy got out of bed in the morning and headed to the beach for a morning walk. That same morning, Cindy posted a sunrise picture to her Facebook account with the caption, Good morning, singing on the beach, remembering to stay in the moment and enjoy fully the gifts we are given. The present is all we have. And later in the day, Cindy saw that Russia had invaded Ukraine. And Cindy, being the thoughtful person that she was, typed out a quick Facebook post offering her thoughts and prayers to those negatively affected by the ongoing war. That evening, Cindy went to an event called Jammin' Jensen with some friends. And this was kind of like a mini festival with local artists and music that Jensen Beach held every Thursday. So kind of picture a street party, music, vendor booths, and food. Honestly, sounds really fun. Honestly, sounds like my kind of daytime activity. Yes. Get you in bed by 8 p.m. kind of activity. That's right. And according to the people who went with Cindy to this event that night, it was fun. Cindy even posted a few photos to Facebook captioned, Fun Night at Jam and Jensen. And Cindy's friend and neighbor, Barbara Deal, told WPTV, She had a fun night and was ready to go home. We never knew that we'd never see her again. Days after Cindy's Jam and Jensen outing, her friends and family became really concerned. Cindy had missed a doctor's appointment, and she hadn't shown up to a party that she told her friends that she was going to. And plus, Cindy hadn't contacted anybody for almost a week. And this is really bizarre for a social butterfly like her. And Cindy also hadn't posted anything on her social media either, which again, was super unlike her. On March 1st of 2022, Cindy's friends and family contacted the local authorities, and the police promptly began the search for 57-year-old Cindy Cole. So at this point, the Martin County police weren't certain this was a sound-the-alarm, all-hands-on-deck kind of missing persons case. 
there could be a reasonable explanation for where Cindy was. So they just sent some officers to check out around Cindy's house. After all, they were having the same thoughts that Cindy's neighbor was, that hopefully this is all just some misunderstanding and Cindy was perfectly fine. So when they arrived, Cindy's Jeep wasn't on her property, not in the driveway, not anywhere near the house. So they're thinking maybe Cindy, a grown woman who had been taking care of herself a long time, had just gone on a quick road trip or gone somewhere without telling anyone. That was possible, right? But still, the police looked for signs of forced entry around Cindy's home, but didn't find any. Then they searched areas they knew Cindy frequented a lot, like the beach where she'd take her walks. Still no sign of her. Then they called local hospitals and checked nearby jails. You never know, right? But still, no sign of Cindy anywhere. The days continued passing, and by this point, the officers did question and worry about whether Cindy really was in danger. So the Martin County Police Department assigned detectives to Cindy's case, and the local news outlet, WPTV, published Cindy's missing persons notice. They described Cindy as 5'5", 117 pounds, with red hair and light-colored eyes. She drove a 2015 Jeep Gray Cherokee. And they explained that she was last seen at the Jam and Jensen event that was downtown in Jensen Beach. But still, no information about Cindy's whereabouts materialized. Right. So no one has any clue where Cindy was. And on March 2nd, law enforcement officials searched the inside of Cindy's home. And even though they scoured this place from top to bottom, the officers didn't see any evidence of violence, of foul play, or of a struggle. But they could tell that Cindy hadn't been home in a while because there was rotten food on the counter. And police also found something else that was unusual in Cindy's house, and that was a shotgun propped against Cindy's bedroom wall. Investigators quickly determined that the shotgun did not belong to Cindy, and she had borrowed it from a friend. According to Sheriff William Snyder, Cindy had a bad interaction with a neighbor. Not of course, but a different neighbor. And the whole situation had spooked Cindy enough that she wanted to make sure that she could protect herself. Right. And that's kind of odd. It's like, I'm sure when they're seeing the shotgun, like this or they're thinking is their first real lead because this doesn't align with anything else in Cindy's life to this point. Right. So that's something they're going to have to look into. And with that, the police now have a whole list of maybes, right? But hardly anything substantial to go off of. Maybe Cindy had gone on a spur of the moment trip. Maybe Cindy's mean neighbor had something to do with her disappearance. But the police needed more. So they began questioning anyone and everyone who had any contact with Cindy recently, including the handyman that had seen Cindy with recently. And that man was 34-year-old Kiyoki Demich. Kiyoki Hilo Demich was born on December 2nd of 1987, and he lived in Yelm, Washington and attended Yelm High School. But at some point, he moved to Olympia and attended Tumwater High School, and he graduated from there in the spring of 2006. He hoped to work in the culinary arts or computer technology, but Kiyoki would never make it very far in either of those fields. Regardless of his ambitions, it didn't help his career prospects when he was arrested at age 17, and he was convicted of, quote, residential burglary with sexual motivation, and he became a registered sex offender in Washington from that point on. So not a great start to life in general, right? We don't know the details of the crime, but officials speculated to CBS 12 News that in the course of that burglary, he viewed pornography or obscenity owned by the victim. Not a good look. It's not great. And now, look, you're a registered sex offender. Either way, eventually, Kiyoki made his way from Washington and moved to the state of Florida. On December 22nd of 2008, Kiyoki was charged with crime again, this time for failing to report his status as a sex offender to the Florida DMV. 
All sex offenders have to have a specific line of text on their license saying, essentially, I'm a registered sex offender. And it's likely that Kiyoki didn't want to do this. So when he moved states, he conveniently forgot to tell the DMV. And for this crime, Kiyoki was sentenced to three years in prison, and he was released in December of 2011. So while it's unclear how Cindy and Kiyoki originally met, by 2022, they had known each other for about eight years. So Kiyoki moved to Florida from Washington State almost 20 years prior, around 2005. And somehow, the two of them connected and became good friends. And we're not sure if Cindy even knew about Kiyoki's history as a sex offender. According to Cindy's neighbors, Kiyoki was often at Cindy's house taking care of her lawn and doing things like that. And around the same time Cindy vanished, she'd been trying to improve her home so she could make some extra cash, renting out either the whole thing or portions of it as an Airbnb. So she'd done a lot of renovating recently. And Kiyoki was around a lot, helping out with all this construction work. Right. And Cindy and Kiyoki's friendship felt completely normal to those who knew them. Cindy's friend, Victoria Boyd, told WPTV that Cindy really liked and trusted Kiyoki. Victoria said there were no alarms for me with that relationship. And from our research, it looked like Kiyoki and Cindy were just friends. And the police first spoke to Kiyoki on March 4th of 2022. And investigators had found information indicating that Kiyoki and Cindy were supposed to get together on February 26th, which is two days after Cindy went missing. So from the moment the police began speaking with Kiyoki, they knew something was up. They just didn't really know what. Because apparently Kiyoki was acting suspiciously. And he kept lying to the detectives about little things that really didn't matter. Exactly. So, for example, Kiyoki said that he had last spoken to Cindy on February 22nd when he and a friend had fixed Cindy's air conditioning unit, but that wasn't true. Cindy's phone records showed that she had texted Kiyoki early on February 24th about some handyman work, but Kiyoki had deleted that message from his phone, so super shady. Yeah, pretty suspect. I know people don't like stuff that looks bad, but if you try to hide stuff that looks bad as opposed to it just coming... It looks com- worse. It looks way worse. It looks like you're trying to hide something. Either way, Kiyoki also claimed that he only ever accepted cash from Cindy for his handyman work, but police found that was also a lie. They found digital receipts indicating that Kiyoki had received almost $600 from Cindy via cash app near the time she vanished. And again, completely irrelevant to her being missing, how she pays him. So it's just another strange thing to lie about. And Kiyoki also said he hadn't been to Cindy's house since he fixed an AC unit for her on February 22nd. But... A rideshare app on Kiyoki's phone proved that he had been to Cindy's house after February 22nd. He'd used Lyft to get there on Thursday, the 24th, the same day that Cindy went missing. Another bad thing to be caught lying about. After Kiyoki's first police interview on Friday, March 4th, the authorities began surveilling him 24-7. They just had this gut feeling that he was somehow involved in Cindy's disappearance, and they just weren't sure how yet. That same day, the police were still investigating Cindy's house, and that's when one detective made a huge discovery. One of the Martin County officers just happened to be walking in Cindy's backyard and seeing if he had missed anything during preliminary searches. And then he did clock something that was kind of out of the ordinary. So the lid to Cindy's septic tank was very clean, cleaner than everything else around it, right? So that's something that popped into his head as being odd and not fitting in with the surroundings. So as far as septic tanks, they're hardly ever opened. So they're usually pretty dirty and it would be very weird for it to be super spotless clean. And when the officer leaned down to touch the septic tank's lid, he found that some of the bolts 
that are usually put in place to keep this lid secured to the tank were unscrewed and loose, meaning clearly someone had opened Cindy's septic tank recently. And when the detectives removed the septic tank lid and opened it, they could clearly see inside the body of 57-year-old Cynthia Marie Cole. Extracting Cindy from the septic tank in her backyard was an enormous undertaking. And if you haven't heard of a septic tank before, it's an underground container that some properties have that contains wastewater for sewage treatment. As in, if you have a septic tank, you're using it when you flush the toilet. There's a lot of disgusting stuff in it, including potentially harmful bacteria. And you really don't want to mess with one unless you're a professional. And you certainly don't want to touch what's inside it. And even though the officers could clearly see Cindy through the tank's opening, they couldn't get her out that way without jeopardizing potential evidence. Because, unfortunately, this means that something horrible has happened to Cindy. She's not just missing. She's not alive. And she's in this septic tank. And she didn't get there by herself. Because, like Jack just said, no one wants to get in one of those things on their own, right? So, after calling multiple septic tank experts, the officers used construction equipment to excavate about four feet of land from around the tank. This process was arduous. It took hours and is extremely dangerous. And at one point, the detectives were worried that they dug out too much dirt from one side of the septic tank and that the whole thing was going to collapse in on itself, which terrifying, dangerous, difficult job. And sad, you know, at the same time, the somber realization of of what they're pulling from this tank is looming over the entire situation. And if this thing had imploded, it would have meant the release of somewhere between 800 and 900 gallons of wastewater and beyond all over their crime scene, which is not what they wanted. And that's not even the end of it. Once the officers were able to access the septic tank from a larger opening, they still had to actually get Cindy's body out. So several officers tied ropes around their waists and scaled the sides of the septic tank to extract Cindy's body as carefully as they could. One official lost their footing and was a hair's breadth away from being severely injured. And Sheriff William Snyder told WPTV, it was probably as challenging of a crime scene as I've ever seen. I've been doing this for 40 plus years and I've never seen anything like it. Our detectives, our forensic people are nothing short of heroes. And at the same time that these officers were working diligently to recover Cindy. Other police officers located Cindy's missing Jeep Cherokee. It was about six miles from downtown Jensen Beach, where Cindy was the night she went missing. And this is nowhere near her house. But Cindy's Jeep was shockingly close to someone else's house. And that someone else was 34-year-old Kiyoki Demich. Cindy's car was less than a mile away from his house. That night on Friday, March 4th, the police brought Kiyoki in for a second round of questioning. And if you remember, Kiyoki was questioned earlier that same day. So this time, he read the writing on the wall and brought a lawyer. But it didn't matter. The police really just had him right where they wanted him. They recovered surveillance footage of Kiyoki leaving Cindy's Jeep behind as he walked to his own property early in the morning of February 25th. And Kiyoki was arrested at 2 a.m. on Saturday, March 5th for second-degree murder. He was held in Martin County Jail on a 750000 bond. And after his arrest, his charge was upped to first-degree murder. So from the very beginning, our first degree for this case knew something was unsettling about Kiyoki. And unfortunately, her intuition was spot on. 
there was just something about that interaction that like just like made me think deeply like normally like an arbitrary interaction like that like you don't even think twice about it but there was something about it that just like kind of struck me as odd and like i said that brief encounter i was like i know he's not just a handyman so like what's the story so i heard she went missing and then once they found her body and i heard it was a handyman i just immediately knew in my gut that it was him who else would it be so immediately it was like I put two and two together. Honestly, like, I really was just like shocked. And as it turns out, had a second connection to Kiyoki. Her mother-in-law's boyfriend worked in construction and he'd hired and worked with Kiyoki several times before. So my mother-in-law's boyfriend, Dave, he said that he like hires help sometimes from halfway houses just for, you know, just like construction work. They get cheap labor. Also, they give, you know, people opportunities that need some work. And that's how he met him. And when Cindy's body was discovered and Kiyoki was arrested, Dave was questioned by the police about Kiyoki. I remember I went over to my mother-in-law's house for like dinner. Her boyfriend wasn't there, but obviously it was fresh in my mind because I just found out that they found her body, but they hadn't released details to the public yet. Like there was no cause of death or anything like that. I was just upset. I was like, I can't believe this. Like, I just found out, like, this lady that lives down the street was found in our septic tank. And then my mother-in-law was like, oh, like, my boyfriend Dave actually got interviewed by police because he was seen dropping him off at Cynthia's house. So he got called into questioning. He had nothing to do with it. It was just like, you know, it's a worker. I dropped him off. I don't know. It's a very strange coincidence, which is why it blew my fucking mind. I was like, it's already strange enough living down the street. But then you're telling me your fucking boyfriend <laughs> got questioned by police. Like, <laughs> it's like, this is too much. While Dave was being questioned by the police, the officers let it slip that Cindy was found with fluid in her lungs. And with this new piece of information, it had one big, horrible question. Was Cindy alive when she was put into the septic tank? The first thing that comes to my head, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I really hope she wasn't, like, buried alive in the septic tank. That would be the worst fucking way to go. When the news broke about Cindy's murder, her body being in the septic tank and the fluid in her lungs, well, everyone was just as upset about it as was. I mean, of course, this is one of the most horrific cases I'm sure this area had ever seen. Cindy's friend, Lisa Stryger, told WPTV, you just can't fathom the crime that happened here, that she was murdered and thrown in a septic tank. It's just, it's just sad. Neighbors surrounded Cindy's home with flowers, brightly colored pinwheels, and handwritten signs expressing just their love and grief. It felt surreal. Everyone loved Cindy, her friends, her family, her community. They all couldn't imagine anyone hurting such a wonderful person. And they especially couldn't imagine Kiyoki, a person who spent so much time helping Cindy out would hurt her and couldn't fathom why he would do it either. But maybe that's because they didn't know everything about Kiyoki. Remember how Kiyoki was a registered sex offender in Washington state and how he was arrested in Florida for not reporting his status to the DMV? In 2012, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement took a second look at Kiyoki's case. And for unknown reasons, they removed him from the state registry for sex offenders. An attorney who specializes in sex crimes told CBS 12 News that the officials may have decided that the Washington conviction was not a qualifying offense in Florida. 
And other specialists wondered if they took Kiyoki off the sex offender registry in part because he was 17 years old when he was originally convicted. Regardless, Sheriff William Snyder of Martin County, the man leading the charge in Cindy's case, believed that Kiyoki's removal from the sex offender registry probably impacted this case. He said that registered sex offenders, quote, knows that he or she is being watched. And in this case, this offender had no crossover with law enforcement. And as a result, maybe he did begin to feel that no one was paying attention to him and he had a freer hand to do what he wanted to do. And I am always baffled by leniency in sex offender cases as opposed to more harsh decision-making. You know what I mean? Like, why is it constantly we're hearing stories like this about like, sex offenders being let off early, sex offenders getting taken off the list, sex offenders getting lenient sentences, sex yeah. offenders. It's just like, why? Why aren't you? What? Why? Like these people have something in them that make them way more susceptible to hurting women and children. And that's probably why it's because these are men and mm-hmm. men aren't as affected by these predators as women and children are. Obviously, I know boys are and I know I'm not using a blanket statement. There's obviously male victims, but I mean as a whole, like statistically. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but nothing really does in situations like this. Seriously. So by March 8th of 2022, three days after Kiyoki's arrest, he finally admitted that he had lied to law enforcement officials. And according to the police affidavit, Kiyoki stated that he lies often. Not great. And this was apparently really apparent because Kiyoki was still telling these half-truths. He said that he did see Cindy on the day she died. And according to Kiyoki, he was asking Cindy for money that she owed him. And that's why he didn't want to tell police. He thought it would seem suspicious that he was requesting money from a victim. Right. But you know, it's way more suspicious lying and getting caught lying and deleting text messages and doing shady shit seriously or and being caught on surveillance dumping the victim's jeep near your house yeah i mean that's yeah right so then kiyoki said he walked home from cindy's house then he said wait no i didn't walk home and then he explained that he took cindy's jeep because she asked him to and for some reason kiyoki felt like he needed to park it a mile from his house and finish the rest of his journey on foot It just makes no sense. So that's when, as you mentioned, a bunch of security cameras caught him abandoning Cindy's Jeep, you know, another nail in his coffin. Right. So on August 15th of 2022, Kiyoki pled guilty to first degree murder, burglary of an occupied dwelling with assault or battery, sexual battery with great force, grand theft, and grand theft of a motor vehicle. And when he was sentenced the next day, the state prosecuting attorney used the information revealed in Kiyoki's questioning and trace evidence that the police found in Cindy's house to explain what they believe happened to Cindy. So their theory is that on Thursday, February 24th, Kiyoki ordered a lift to Cindy's house with the intent to rob and kill her. So they believe that he'd planned this. This is what he was going to do. And I'm not sure what they're using to back that up, but wow. I mean, how... It's horrific. Yeah. But then when he showed up at Cindy's house, she wasn't there because Cindy was still at the Jam and Jensen Festival. So Kyoki basically lied in wait. He hid it in Cindy's shower and contemplated how he was going to do this. When Cindy arrived home, Kyoki slammed her into the front door. And we don't know, but she may have been knocked unconscious at that point. Then Cindy was sexually assaulted. Then according to state prosecutors, Kyoki moved Cindy to the bathroom. And that's where they believe that he drowned Cindy and sexually assaulted her again. 
and after he shoved Cindy's body into a septic tank. Kiyoki's own defense lawyer said that Kiyoki unjustifiably tortured and killed Cynthia Cole, who by all accounts was a wonderful woman with family and friends that love her. On Tuesday, August 16th of 2022, 34-year-old Kiyoki Hilo Demich was sentenced to three life sentences without the possibility of parole for senselessly burglarizing, raping, and killing 57-year-old Cynthia Cole. Kiyoki's true motive was never revealed, but based on the charges, it was likely greed. Likely greed, and he's he's a sexual predator. Yeah. You know? I mean, greed, you can't eliminate the fact that he sexually assaulted this person who was like a mother figure to him. Like this is, he's deranged. He's deranged and he's greedy and he's a monster. And thankfully, this psychopath is never getting out of prison. And Cindy's family, I'm sure, was relieved to hear that. Cindy's daughter was able to speak at some point during these court proceedings. And she explained that she knew Kiyoki as her mother's friend. She'd met him many times over the years. And Cindy's daughter pointed out that she and Kiyoki were the same age. Cindy was, in Kiyoki's own words, like a second mother to him. And Cindy's daughters had even discovered some old Christmas cards where Kiyoki had said how grateful he was for Cindy's presence and how much he loved her. So if that's the case, why the fuck did he do this? The whole thing is just awful. Cindy's murder affected the lives of so many people. And it's not just the people that knew Cindy well. It felt like everyone in Jensen Beach was impacted by Cindy's death, and that was including She'd been right to suspect something was going on between Cindy and Kiyoki, even though she hadn't known exactly what that something was, even if that something was insidious intentions brewing in Kiyoki's mind. It immediately creeped me out when I realized, like, I was right. I was like, there's a deeper connection here. Like, it's not just a random guy that she's driving around to, like, collect materials. When I read that they had known each other for years, I was like, okay, that's your intuition, I could tell that they knew each other. They had a sense of, like, comfortability with each other. That was, like, very clear to me. And just that 60-second encounter. I've been a true crime, like, junkie forever. But obviously it's, like, the cliche, like, you never think it's going to happen to you. (laughs) Just like the beginning of your podcast. Like, it's definitely different, though, when it's down the street. No, it definitely has seriously rattled me. Like, I stay up at night thinking about it sometimes, Just knowing I was, you know, stunk as a bug just sitting on my couch when this was happening literally like two blocks away. It's horrible. This is one of those unfortunate cases where we will never understand all of its details. And like us wants to know more. I'm very curious to know how that relationship even started. How did he meet her? I want to know how they met how they formed a relationship. Why did he meet her children? Was he coming to family gatherings? And also, what was he doing in Florida? Like, what brought him to Florida? How long was he in Florida? And when thinks back to the day that she saw Kiyoki with Cindy, she wonders if things could have gone differently. And will wonder about these what-ifs for the rest of her life. I'm always paranoid. And my husband, he works overseas like nine months out of the year. So I'm like constantly alone. And like when I found this out, I was like, oh, my God. Like when I talked to her in that brief encounter, she was like, where do you live? I was like, oh, we're the house with like the white fence. Like, you know, thank God he didn't fucking come to our house. I mean, which is obviously like a far fetch, but it's like, you know, it's just crazy. 
Like, you just don't know what people are capable of. So, no, I'm always so cautious. It rattled me because I've never, at least not to my knowledge, up until this point, like, ever locked eyes with a sadistic murderer. It's going to stick with me forever. Neighborly love has evolved over time. Before, people had to build their communities with those physically close to them. They sat on their porches every night and chatted with passing pedestrians. They knocked on the doors of their neighbors to borrow an egg or a cup of sugar. You talked to your neighbors because you needed them. You shared the experience of living in the same state, the same city, and the same block. If you were worried about the HOA raising their fees again, you know that Taylor down the street had the same concern too. If a bad storm knocked down a tree in your yard, you could ask trusty Sam from down the street to haul the biggest limbs away with his truck and he'd be happy to do it. But that's not really how things are today. With the advent of technology, smartphones, and social media, it's easy to get all the community you could ever need from the comfort of your couch. Sure, we smile at neighbors, we wave when we walk by, but we don't need our neighbors like we used to. We don't say hello and ask about their day like we used to. And maybe we should, because you never know where their life will take them. And when they're gone, you might miss them more than you expect. Huge thank you to for being our first degree guest for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon. We have lots of bonus content for you over there and stick around tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feed. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are court documents, police affidavits, TC Palm, Martin County Court Records, Florida Department of Corrections, The Daily Mail UK, WPTV, and CBS 12 News. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.